welcome back to QAV live and in person in front of your naked steaming eyes, as David Lee Roth would like to say. I'm still in uh, the United States. It's the 4th of July here. And uh, of course, to celebrate, there was a mass shooting at a 4th of July parade in a wealthy suburb of Chicago, I think, today, because that's what America is all about. And where you are, it's uh, biblical floods, I, I believe, Tony. Yeah, I'm clearing out, Cam. I'm leaving today. I'm going down to Wagga for a couple of days. I've been kept inside since Friday. It's now Tuesday. So, um, yeah, I've had enough. <laughs> and this is like the fourth time in recent memory that it's happened. It's pretty bad. But look, and I've, I'm making light of it. It's, it's bad for all the people who have to leave their houses because of floods. So I feel for them. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just not never-ending rain. Did you buy an ark or do you just rent one in situations like this? Or are you like, Buffy, yeah, I don't need to own my own ark. I don't need to buy my own ark. I've got plenty of friends with arks. I'll just borrow one of their arks. You know what Buffett said about private jets? He'll set up a fractional, a fractional ownership situation. <laughs> <laughs> I call my ark the uh, indefensible. <laughs> That's what he called That's his what Buffett called his plane. His plane, yeah. Well, it's the opposite of that here. It's like they're, they're in the middle of a three- or a four-year drought, I think, in this part of the U.S. Well, the water's got to come from somewhere. That's right. It's the Colorado River, as I believe. Happy New Year to everybody. It's the uh, new financial year uh, this week, and I guess uh, it's a good time as any to have a look at the performance of the dummy portfolio in the last financial year. The 2022 financial year, and um, it wasn't wasn't that inspiring. I have to be honest. I looked at it this morning. <laughs> Our return for the full financial year was negative 3.03%. Capital gain was negative 8.49%. Income return, though, was 5.46% positive, so it brings it to a negative 3.03%. Now, Compare that to our benchmark, the ASX 200, it was down 6.84% for the financial year. So our goal is to do twice yeah. as well as the <laughs> as the uh, index. And we did. We, we, we did twice as well as the index. We, we fell by 50% what the index fell over the course of the financial year. So it works. In all seriousness, the system, you know, prevents us from losing as much as we might otherwise. It gets us out. But it's been a dismal year for the uh, stock market in Australia and around the world, not just Australia. But, you know, the good news is the long term, you look over since inception and for new listeners, we started the portfolio where we we were fully invested with our original imaginary $20,000 capital. First of September 2019, if we look at it from inception, the dummy portfolio is up 15.75% per annum versus the index, which is up 3.55% per annum over the same period. So we're doing I know, roughly five times better than the index since inception. So yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're doing okay. It's a bad year for everybody, but in the uh, big picture, we're doing okay. Best uh, performing stocks in the last week in the dummy portfolio were LAU, up 13% in the last week. ECX up 5, KOV up 2, FEX up 1.6, CGF up 0.29%. So that's my portfolio report for this week, this year, financial year, Tony. 
What are your thoughts on all of that? My overriding thought is that this, during the financial year, anyway, the, the share market went up and came back again. And minus 3% for a year is, is actually unfortunate. It would stand 3% and the market was down 6 but that's not a bad year. I mean, I've lived through years where it's been down 30%. Oh. So, uh, you know, this is uh, what, what's happened that made people, I think, feel it more is that, you know, six months in, I think we were up like 10 or 15% or something even higher than that maybe, and it's come back in the last six months. So it's been a bad start to calendar year 2022. But the financial year, like if, if you looked at a, a whole list of last 20 or 30 years of gains and losses in the share market, minus, minus 6% would be, you know, just a blip. It wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be consequential. So I think a little bit of perspectives required, even though that, you know, people will be feeling like, uh, A, they're hurt because their portfolio has gone down in the last six months significantly and be probably tired because it's been a choppy market. So we've been rule wanting a lot and buying things and rule wanting again and buying things and three points selling and buying things. And now like me, I think a lot of people sitting on cash waiting for the time to start rebuying. So that's my overriding thoughts on the market in the last 12 months. Well, one of the things I've learned from being in the US for the last couple of weeks, Tony, is that the reason the market's been down in the last six months and that the reason the fuel prices are up and all these sorts of uh, dramatic economic things, it's Joe Biden. I've had a number of people tell me it's uh, Joe Biden. It's all Joe Biden. Mm. It's his fault. This is happening. America's in the toilet. I said, well, hold on. Australia's economy's in the toilet as well. Is it Joe Biden's fault that Australia's economy's in the toilet? They'll go, oh, I don't know, probably, yeah. <laughs> I think the answer is if only he had that much power. Yeah, <laughs> he wishes he had that much power. Exactly, yeah. If he's got that much power, take it off him. Rise up. <laughs> Arm up. Take back the government. <laughs> Happy Sedition Day to you over there as well. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> i got to give a plug for my new favourite drink of choice here. You can't see it in my plastic cup, but it's a, a Michelada. I was introduced to this at a Mexican restaurant in Phoenix. You ever had a Michelada in your time over here, TK? Michelada, no. Sounds like a Nicky-lada. Was it a Formula One racing driver who got badly burnt? Bad, bad, badly burnt, yeah. It tastes, like, it tastes just like Nicky-lada. <laughs> That's dark. Wow, you have been <laughs> trapped inside for a long time, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's half beer, <laughs> and uh, this is half prickly pear beer and half Clamato juice. Wow, no. Which is my favourite go-to drink whenever I come over here. It's just Clamato drink. I, mm. I crave Clamato juice when I'm back home. Anyway, so half Clamato, half beer. I haven't had that. We used to have, well, probably have if you take the beer first and the Clamato second because we, we used to have, always have a couple of bottles of Clamato juice in the fridge. It's lovely. Oh, so good. We used to put vodka in ours too and have uh, Bloody Marys or Caesars right. as they're called in Canada. Yeah, Caesars. People have called them. See, I did, kept saying you should have it as a Caesar. I didn't know what they were talking about. Well, uh, I'll tell you who's had a good year is uh, one of our subscribers, Brent. He posted on Facebook yesterday, with the end of the financial year, I've been tidying up my paperwork and reflecting on the QAV process, performance and trends over the year. What a tough year. My central theme for the year was the system got me out of retailers and banks and moved me into oil, coal and cash. Along the way, there were a lot of Rule 1 sells, and I've become much more comfortable selling companies and moving into companies that are rising. The QAV process protected my capital to fight another day, and I'm looking forward to the days ahead that will be full of bargains. I'm extremely happy with my return for the year, but slightly disappointed 
as the last three weeks halved my yearly return and destroyed me. My returns were solely the result of overweight positions in GRR, YAL, and NHC and the dividends they paid. His compound annual growth rate, and I don't know how long this is for, uh, well, I guess it is. Uh, he's got it down below. It's a couple of years. 28.37% is his CAGR. Since inception, which is the 25th of January 2021, he says his return is uh, 64.79%. I guess that must be like total over the period. And he said the um, all odds, the all ordinaries uh, return since the, over the same period is 0.37%. Our performance, 64.42%. <laughs> Financial year just gone, he said his return was 35.87%. So minus the all odds, and he's not just doing the um, 200 like we do, he's doing the all odds, the AXGOA actually, so the total return index, down 7.44% over the period. So our performance, 43.31%. I don't know how Brent did this because we didn't, but that's a great return. So well done. It's a great return. Gary replied, well done, Brent. I'm sitting at 15% total return over the same total period as you. Was at 40% back in March, but got hammered since then. Only at 0.65% for the last financial year. My fault, not QAVs. Better than negative, though. I'm like, well, hey, we are negative for that for the last <laughs> financial year, Gary. So you've done better than us, too. But uh, that's, that's a great performance for Brent. So maybe Brent should come on the show and tell us how he did it. Yeah. Well, especially if Brent did something different, if he fudged something or if he uh, modified the rule somehow. Well, he said he was overweight in uh, Grange Resources, Yang Coal, and New Hope Coal. So I don't know what he means by overweight, why, why he was overweight. You know, QAV, with QAV, you shouldn't be overweight in anything. You should be relatively evenly balanced across your 15 to 20 stocks, right? Well, yeah, unless, I mean, I have double bought things in times like this when I've got cash to deploy, so you can get slightly overweight. But yeah, I wonder if he just means that he let those stocks grow and they became large in his portfolio and overweight in his portfolio, maybe. Yeah, it could be. But anyway, well done. Congratulations, Golf Clap to Brent. That's great. Yeah, well done. And I think that's the other commentary I'd make on the last financial year. I was looking at some of the um, sector returns as well. And uh, the ASX, I think it was 20, was, was down something like 12%, I think, for the year, and that would be without dividends. So large caps um, were down more than small caps. But the big winner for last year was the energy sector. The ASX Energy Index was up 25% for the year. And as Brent said, I mean, uh, we started the year, I think I started the year in iron ore stocks, actually, and uh, banks and gold, and got out of those and into Beach Energy, Santos. I think I had Santos all the way through, but Beach, and then eventually Yankol and New Hope. So it, it is getting us into the right situations in the market. Without trying to be thematic, we tend to end up being thematic. Oh, good stuff. So what else have you got to talk about today before we get into Q&A, Tony? Yeah, a couple of things. So I've got, um, I'd say about three weeks ago, we had a question from a listener about a company called Byron Energy, B-Y-E. And uh, the question was, and I'll paraphrase, was uh, B-Y-E had a qualified audit in its annual report, and then nothing in its half-yearly accounts. There was a material uncertainty raised in the, in the annual report, but it wasn't raised in the half-yearly report. And the question was, does that mean it's no longer a qualified audit? And uh, I didn't know the answer to that. So I went out and asked uh, James Oliver, our um, member who is an auditor, 
And he came back with an answer, and I'll just I'll read it out quickly. His answer is, this was a good question, and unfortunately the answer is not an intuitive one to the average investor. If you look at the history of BYE's audit and review reports, June 20th audit report, material uncertainty, ongoing concern, paragraph added. December 20 interim review report, no such paragraph added. June 21 audit report, material uncertainty, ongoing concern, paragraph added. December 21 interim review report, no such paragraph added. And June 2022 audit report, we'll see soon enough. So (laughs) uh, he goes on to say, I think there's a bit of a pattern here. I think this is because technically there is no audit of going concern at the interim dates and the user is meant to read an interim report in conjunction with the most recent annual financial report, including any disclosures in relation to going concern. What he's saying there basically is we may not see that, that qualified audit statement in the half yearly report because it's not a full audit. So when I found out that and got that answer, we took Byron Energy off the buyer list because it had it reversed the qualified audit and now I've reversed it back. And there's been follow-up questions from that from listeners saying that, yeah, directors been buying shares recently and the share price is going up, et cetera. And this reminds me of our old friend, Apollo Tourism and Leisure, who did the same thing. They had a qualified audit in their annual report, nothing in their interims. And, uh, you know, I, I'll repeat the same comment I made there, that it's entirely possible that Byron Energy and Apollo Tourism and Leisure have gotten better over the course of the year. And we won't, but we won't know that for sure until we see the, the annual report when it comes out in a couple of months. And, you know, there are plenty of other stocks to buy in the market. Well, maybe not so much now because of where the market's at, but there are always other stocks to buy at some stage. And so I just wouldn't want to take the risk that we buy a stock that looks like it's going up and then the annual report comes out and we find it's a qualified audit still. So it's a risk mitigation strategy that I've taken Byron Energy off the, uh, off the buy list. And if people hold Byron Energy, as I think we did in one of our portfolios, we sold it when you made that yeah. decision. So people might want to consider, please seek professional financial advice. Don't listen to anything I say. I'm a guy sitting in the desert wearing a bandana, but uh, you, you, <laughs> should, uh, you might want to think about <laughs> de-risking by removing it because it is a risk. It is a risk, yeah. And a company will turn around the most when it goes from being financial risky to back on its uh, feet again. And we may miss out on that if we you know, decide to adopt a risk mitigation strategy like this, but I'm happy to do that because I've also been in a situation where things can get materially worse quickly and the stocks can go broke. And uh, I'm thinking of one called Collection House, which isn't on the buy list at the moment and hasn't been for a while, but I, it has been something I've looked at years ago and it had a material uncertainty raised in its annual report and it's now broke. So it can go both ways. And I think we just have to be a bit careful with these kind of stocks. And if people want to read more, James did provide a link, which is people can Google this. It's on the CPA Australia website, which is CPA Australia, all one word.com.au. And if they go there or if they Google, a guide to understanding audit and auditing and assurance. So a guide to understanding auditing and assurance. There's a whole paper there on understanding audit reports, which people might find useful if they are. Uh, if they want to investigate this more. And big thanks to James for taking the time to do that work and put it together for us and for the members. Uh, Very generous with his time as always. And if people haven't heard the episode when James was on a few months ago talking about qualified audits, uh, worth having a listen. It's very insightful. 
Yeah, thanks, James. Uh, now, moving on, a couple of other things to talk about. One of the things that I picked up in my sort of readings over the last week, and I've been able to do lots because I haven't been able to get out much <laughs> with all the rain, the ASX Ford PE is around 12 times, which is very low. That's what we're trading on at the moment. Can you explain ASX forward PE to me? Yeah, so there's two ways of looking at the, the PE, which is the price to earnings ratio. One is to look at what the actuals have been reported at in the last reporting season. That's called the trailing PE. And then the other one is to use the consensus forecast for earnings per shares to, to calculate a new PE based on the current share price. So it's the expectations for the market. So it's now down to 12 times. I think I think at the end of or the middle of the GFC, it got down to about eight times. That's probably the record low, I would think. Um, so we're not quite at the bottom yet, but we're certainly in the, the cheap category or cheap territory. So uh, I'm not saying it's going to go up soon, but this, this kind of uh, situation is when the market may well rally. But uh, whether that's next month, six months, next year, who knows? But it is getting cheap. So what is next? We're moving into confession season now. So be alert, people, that uh, especially in this kind of environment where we've really only had one quarter in Australia anyway of high fuel prices, gas prices, and rising mortgage rates. So most companies I would expect going into this earnings season are still going to meet their consensus targets because uh, they may be trailing off at the end of the year if, if people are tightening their belts, but they've probably had three good quarters in there as well. So I, I'm not expecting a whole heap to come out of confession season, but be, a, but be alert. There could be some companies who say, look, you know, especially in the retail space, as I spoke about last week, I'm seeing a lot more empty shops, shop fronts as I get around Sydney. So I think retail's doing it tough. So we may see some, some of the retailers in particular perhaps come out and say, we're not going to meet our, our earnings projections. So um, be aware. So keep aware of that. After confession season, of course, comes reporting season. Again, I don't expect much carnage during reporting season, but uh, we'll see. I know the US reporting season that's just uh, gone by because they have quarterly reporting seasons uh, has been meeting targets. So more, more companies met targets than didn't. So it hasn't been a problem over there. But the market, of course, looks nine months ahead uh, and it's, it's predicting what's going to happen. So that's why the PE is now 12 times rather than, you know, historically it's about 15, 16 times forward estimate. Uh, and last year was probably up around 20 times forward estimate. So it's, it's, it's been dropping rapidly. But typically what we see or what I've seen when things play out like this is that it's the next half that we'll start to see companies come out and say uh, our earnings are being impacted or analysts come out and say our earnings are being impacted. I would think the thing to watch out for is companies who won't give guidance. They'll, they'll use weasel words like uh, the market's too un- or the environment's too uncertain to predict trading. That'll be a, a red flag to the analysts and they'll start marking down the PEs even further. So the prices they are prepared to pay for these stocks even further. So that's something else to, to watch out for during this time. So all in all, it's going to be a fairly choppy year, I would think. The market's going to look nine months ahead. They're going to see inflation. They're going to see the war in Ukraine, et cetera, still going on. But as we know, predictions are really hard. And it, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if those concern, today's concerns aren't the concerns in the market in nine months' time. But there'll be a new set of concerns, you know, another COVID outbreak or whatever that's happening. So pretty hard to predict. Part of me thinks that the central banks who are high interest rates, things do turn south within the next couple of months, may well halt that, which will may well spark a rally in the market, but um, I just don't know. So I guess the point of all that is we're heading into confession season, then reporting season, be alert during those times. 
And then uh, after that, I think we should still be alert because I think perhaps three months after that, we may still see some companies coming out with either guidance downgrades or inabilities to make guidance. Can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. So when you say be alert, what form does that take? I mean, aren't I just like running the numbers as I normally am? What, what am I? What do I have to be alert about? Yeah, so we are doing the process. The process doesn't change in this kind of time period. When I'm saying I'm being alert, I, I'm making sure I read the paper, the financial review every day, and have got all my alerts set in Stock Doctor, especially three point trend line alerts and Rule One alerts, because. If a company does come out and say, look, it's, it's tough going out there, I can't, I can't to confirm guidance, and the, the share price could drop 20 or 30% in a day. So that's something to watch out for. So make sure you do what you should be doing yeah. all the time, right? Have your alerts set, keep your eye on the papers. But there's nothing different really that we, we do in this period, right? We just keep doing what we always do. We just have to, if I translate what you're saying, it's a particularly precarious time right now, so make sure you do the stuff you should be doing. Yes, and, and that means if you're going on holidays like you're yeah, doing it's for, hard. For, for four months, yeah. yeah. You've, four you've months? Got a, you've got a kind of well, – four, sorry, four weeks. It feels like four months, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you've just got to check in as much as possible. You and I kind of back each other up, so if we see something which is a sell and I think you might not have gotten it, I'll send it to you and vice versa. But, um, you know, if I was in your shoes and I didn't have the network of people that we have in QAV, I'd probably, as soon as I got back into Wi-Fi range, catch up on all the AFRs I missed out on. So you might, I might binge read three or four or five in a row and just make sure that I'm up to date on financial news. Make sure, you know, that if I was away for a couple of weeks, I'd reset the alerts when I got back into range, that kind of thing. I got to tell you, so slightly off topic, but when we got here, we got Verizon SIM cards, 5G, blah, 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 is in LA the first day. And uh, the Verizon network here is the worst piece of shit I've, like, even now, like right now, I'm in, I'm in Cedar City, Utah. It's not a big town, you know, it's like 30, 40,000 people, but the 5G is giving me two megabits a second. Like back home in Australia on Telstra's network, that'd be, it'd be more like 200, 250 megabits a second on 5G, getting two megabits a second in. Unfortunately, the Airbnb we're in has got really good broadband. I'm getting 500 megabits a second on this. It's from the ridiculous to the sublime. But when we're down at the Grand Canyon, you know, everyone had told me, uh, when I say everyone, Chrissy told me there'd be Wi-Fi at the lodge at the Grand Canyon, knew that the, the, the telephone signal would probably be bad. She said, it'd be Wi-Fi at the lodge. So I got there, went straight to the lodge said, you got Wi-Fi? They went, uh, no, we don't have any Wi-Fi at the lodge. They said, try the general store, which is a five-minute drive up the road. So I went to the general store, logged onto their Wi-Fi, and I was getting 400 kbps oh. speeds. <laughs> and I went inside. I said to the staff, look, I'm sitting out uh, at the front, like on some chairs they had at the front, and uh, I'm getting this. Is there a place here where it's better? And they were like, nah, that's it. That's that's what you get. I couldn't even wow. download. Alex had sent me the spreadsheet. I couldn't even download a spreadsheet or upload a spreadsheet. I spent an hour trying to answer emails from you and Alex and just, it was just the most frustrating thing. We were there for five days with no net uh, when I thought I'd have net that entire week. And the other thing that gets me over here is, you know, back home, you tap to pay everything and you have done for years. Here. Some places you can tap to pay, others you can't. Uh, some places you can use a pin, other places you can't. You have to 
put a signature on a thing. Yeah. It's all over the place, you know, some places accept this card, but the other card isn't accepted. Like you have to have four or five cards as backups because you don't know which one this place is going. It's such a dog's breakfast over here with stuff. Like I always think of the US as being five to ten years ahead of us on basic things like this, and they are in, in a couple of areas. Like what? Legalization of marijuana. We were in Arizona for the first couple of weeks, man. There's like dispensaries on every street corner. You can just go in and buy gummies and weed to your heart's content. Can't in Utah. But, um, and they were ahead of us in, in legalization of gay marriage, although the Supreme Court looks like they're going to do their best to probably overturn <laughs> both of those things in their next sitting. Yeah, they're rolling back the clock on as much as they can here right now. It's Fascinating. I tell you, anyway, I'll leave with this for after hours. But yeah, the, tele- the telecommunications and the uh, payment networks here are just so far behind. It's really, really fascinating. And it's still paper money. Has anyone gotten their black pen out and put a strike through the paper money when you give it to them yet? Well, I haven't been giving people paper money except for tips, really. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's the other thing that's annoying is how when you pay for everything, they're like, now, two screens will appear. Please uh, answer them as you see fit. And the first screen is, uh, which, what kind of tip would you like to give this person? I'm like, I'm like, nothing. I don't know. And you get hardwired into 10, 15, or 20%. Yeah. Or well, there is a custom uh, Chrissy showed me today. But, uh, yeah, the whole, uh, anyway, that's probably why I haven't slept for three days. Yeah, well, because what's the basic wage in the US at the moment? Seven bucks an hour or something, isn't it? So they live on tips. I don't know. Yeah, they do. It's it's like it's 2022. It's such a – anyway, don't get me started. All right, what else you got? Pulled pork. Oh, sorry, one more thing before the pulled pork. We're recording this on Tuesday morning, uh, July 5 Australian time, and the RBA meets today, and I expect – or everyone's expecting the interest rates to rise, so I'll put out a new um, a message about what to plug into the spreadsheet to test for – Interest rates, uh, yeah, to put into the interest rate cell to test if the yield is higher than the mortgage rate. I noticed over the weekend the mortgage rates had been put up by some of the major banks, but I haven't bothered to update the spreadsheet yet because I think they're going to go up again today. Wow. um, Yeah, we'll see. Okay, pulled pork. Pulled pork today is one of the only stocks that we're seeing to buy at the moment, which is uh, NZM, New Zealand Media and Entertainment, NZME for short. I think it went out in the an email yesterday. I also saw Sunland. I was thinking about doing Sunland, but I think I've done Sunland before last year, Cam. Can you recall? If not, I'll do it next week. No, I can't recall, but I can have a look at my notes. Okay. Anyway, this week is New Zealand Me. So interesting company. When I was living in New Zealand many years ago, there was a a website set up called stuff.com by a, a young entrepreneur in New Zealand. And it eventually grew to be like the, I guess what the Yahoo portal should always have been sort of that gateway into the internet and it sort of branched out into a combination of eBay and a news site and all sorts of different things. And it was eventually bought out, I think, or sold to one of the media companies and morphed into NZME, if I'm correct from memory. But now anyway, it's a very large media company in New Zealand. It has interest in radio. It owns the New Zealand Herald, which is a newspaper. And it has the digital still with the stuff.com website. So it's, it's quite large over there. And it's a, you know, it's a classic big fish in a small pond. So this is the kind of company that 
I think a Warren Buffett or a young Warren Buffett might have been interested in because it's got certain monopoly characteristics. It has a big toehold in the media sector over there. It's going to be hard for someone to come in and compete with it. I mean, the New Zealand Herald is is um, a well-established newspaper over there. And uh, newspapers were something which always interested Buffett. He owned the Washington Post. You know, he liked the, the, their ability to raise prices even during all kinds of economic cycles. And, you know, if you think about it, who ever heard of a newspaper putting its price down? They, they never have. It's always gone up over time. And the financial reviews now $4.50 a, a copy. So that's um, kind of an example of that. On the flip side of that sort of uh, big fish in a small pond situation for NZME is, is how does it grow? The media regulators in New Zealand are probably going to look fairly um, poorly on any, any sort of attempt to buy another media presence in, in New Zealand from competition concern perspectives. Uh, so it could go overseas um, into Australia. Again, it'll be hard to, to buy something in Australia. The media companies over here are quite big as well. So it's a company which throws off a lot of cash, which is really good. And they've been using that cash to buy back shares and to pay special dividends, which is a sign to say they can't find something to, to buy. That's, I guess, where it is. I would think it's a potential takeover target for an Australian media conglomerate like Channel 9. But, you know, is New Zealand really going to be a, a big enough interest for them? So anyway, th- that's all speculation. The good thing about this company is that it, it trades on a PE of currently of 4.3, which funnily enough, isn't the lowest PE in the last three years. It's been down as low as two or three times earnings. But its, it's price to operating cash flow is not much more than that. It's, it's price to operating cash flow is 4.4. So most of the cash it makes flows straight to the bottom line. I guess uh, if you think about radio and print and all those kinds of things, and even the, the dot-com site, once you make the initial capital outlays, they're, they're just staffing costs from then. So that's probably why we're getting lots of cash thrown off, and then it, it flows straight through to the bottom line pretty much. If this was in the dot-com boom, you know, it's trading on an ROE of 39%. It's the classic dot-com company, no capital investment required and throwing off lots of cash. The problem is it doesn't have growth. It's hard for us to measure growth because there's no consensus earnings forecast. But looking historically, the growth has bounced around a lot in this company. So, um, yeah, you'd expect it without any sort of acquisition and it's not going to grow much at all going forward. The numbers for it are interesting. So it's uh, $164,000 on average per day. So it's not a large company, but it's still a reasonable size for, for a lot of our listeners to have a look at. It's a New Zealand company, but it's listed here as well. So it would have a dual listing. Not that that's a, there's no issue there really, except that sometimes people on either side of the Tasman can, can play arbitrage if, if the share price for whatever reason goes out of sync. But anyway, the financial health of this company is steady and strong. So it scores well there. The yield is, is quite high on this company as well. So it's, it's certainly above the mortgage rate. And this is one of the companies we spoke about before where the PE is less than the yield, which is something I've always looked for when I'm investing. So if you think about that, the price to earnings ratio is, is low, very low, and the yield is very high. So again, it's, it's an indication of a high cash flow company, which is great. It's a, you know, it's a classic coffee shop. It's throwing off lots of cash for us with the only way it can grow is to buy another coffee shop, really. It doesn't have consistently increasing equity, so that's no good. doesn't score there. It's less than TKIV, but we, uh, IV1. We don't have IV2, so I can't um, measure that on that basis. The yield is 6.78%, so very high, although there has been some special dividends in there as well. There's no earnings per share forecast, so I can't give a, um, a score on that basis. Anyway, all up, it's got a, a quality score of 75% and a QAV score of 017 
and that's using a share price of $1.12. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio and if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Um, check that out too. Um, it's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. Um that's it Um, if you don't want to sign up to any of those just keep listening to the free episodes and if you have any questions uh, shoot me an email you'll find that on our website too have a great week and good luck with your investing the QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited authorised representative of AFSL 520442 AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.